Hi there everyone, I trust that you're doing really well today. It's very cold now, I think winter has really set in in South Africa at the moment. Um, today I am excited because I'm actually speaking at our Pretoria East Church, Go Church Pretoria East, with Pastors Michael and Fadzai, and I am doing their Victory Sunday. That's the equivalent of our Encounter Sundays that we've been doing in Joburg and in Centurion. And I just think they're, they're amongst the best human beings I know, Pastor Mike and Fadzai. So that's where I am, and that's why you're watching me on screen if you're in the Joburg Church or the Centurion uh, congregation. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. I'm going to be speaking on the subject of the power of joy, the power of joy. I'm really building on some of the messages we've been doing on resilience and on waiting on the Lord. And I want to show you today that joy is actually a weapon that God has actually given us and that we need to actually be making use of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you for the power of revelation. And thank you that something in this message will touch the hearts of your people and that they will be transformed and that nothing that is deposited today will be robbed from them. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want to propose to you that your destiny the direction which your life takes, your destiny, will be determined by what you choose to be your primary source of joy. What you choose to be your primary source of joy. You see, many people think that success in life, destiny, is just to do with your IQ, how smart you are, determining how you end up succeeding. But you know that it's been found that only 25% of job success is predicted by IQ. And 75% by your optimism, your social support, and your ability to see stress as a challenge instead of a threat. Isn't that powerful? That 75% of your job success is actually to do with how optimistic you are, how much social support you have, and your ability to see stress as a challenge instead of a threat. Now, many of you know that if you put joy into that equation, joy determines very often how optimistic you are. You know, how you see things. Do you see an opportunity in a calamity or not? Or do you always see calamities even in opportunities? You see, God has designed our biology. He's designed our physiology to make us happy, right? We've got things in how he created us that actually help us to be happy. You see, happy hormones, what people call happy hormones, they generally refer to endorphins, and research actually shows that uh, serotonin in particular lingers in your system after exercise and can be released by maintaining a positive mood. And it's so interesting because I've experienced that. Many people who run and who train quite a bit, they experience it. And it's like, mm, okay, let me do it again. Even though it was painful, I can experience joy, right? Dopamine is released when you move toward a goal. And oxytocin is activated through physical contact intercourse, um, hopefully in a marriage, married situation, right? Uh, but sexual intercourse and childbirth. You see, these are actually neurotransmitters and your body's natural painkillers. Isn't it amazing that God has given us natural painkillers? 
Now work is being done where they're increasing people's happiness and seeing their productivity going up by 31%. You know, so happy people are more productive. It's actually a predictor of longevity. Just like smoking, high blood pressure and obesity uh, have correlations with premature death, happy people seem to be healthier and seem to outlive unhappy people, you see? Happy people feel more secure, decide easier, they have more cooperative behavior, and finally have a satisfying life in today's dynamic and changing environment. Isn't that fascinating? In this message, I'm going to unpack the nature of true biblical joy, and I'll illustrate how we can actually use joy as a weapon in victorious Christian living. So what is joy? Joy is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It's a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, a settled state of confidence, and a settled state of hope. It's something that provides a source of happiness. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is gonna be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every circumstance. And Rick Warren said that. So there are levels of happiness, aren't there? Because if I talk about a chocolate and, ooh, I'm very happy that you gave me a chocolate. And then I can also talk about, oh, I'm really happy about that work I did the other day. It's two different levels of happiness. So the first level is the pleasure of the moment. So for example, enjoying an ice cream right? Then it's gone. It's momentary. And it's what we sometimes just call happiness. And happiness is based on happenings, isn't it? But joy is a spiritual quality. So there are levels of happiness, right? Um, and it's interesting because yet some, some of the most extreme expressions that people make of excitement are made at this basic level of joy. Oh, yippee, you've given me a chocolate. And people get so excited like they've just been awarded a degree. Okay, but it's actually a, a base level of happiness. It's the pleasure of the moment. The second level is success by winning or achieving. All right, and it feeds into your self-worth. For example, when someone scores a goal and we see them jumping up and down and their whole team is all over them and you're like, these are grown men and they're all over each other. You know, if you see uh, men like that just in, you know, just on the street, you'll think, oh, there's something not quite right there. But somehow in the context of a game, it's appropriate, right? Um, so for example, feeling like the training paid off, right? That's a level of happiness, it's a level of joy, right? Uh, but you can still have buyer's remorse afterwards, right? You can go for training and you feel it was great, a week later, that changes. So you look back and you're satisfied and happy with your work. That's a certain level of joy, all right? Then um, there's a third level and that's contribution to your community. It's where you feel connected and you feel significant. I find joy in serving at church. I find joy in assisting people uh, or giving to someone and feeling like, oh, I've made a difference in that person's life. I gave this individual advice and yes, that was great, all right? And then the fourth level is fulfillment of a cause or a purpose bigger than ourselves. It's a sense of meaning. All right. It's where you feel your life is meaningful. 
And it's interesting because McKinsey did some interesting work. They called it centered leadership. And it was basically on women who were successful, but remained healthy because you can be successful and unhealthy. And it was interesting because they called it centered leadership and they found five common denominators amongst these women. And one of them was a sense of meaning. Their work was meaningful. Their work was meaningful. So those are the levels of joy. And it's interesting because if you look at the Greek word that is used, kara, it actually speaks of to extend favor, to lean towards, to be favorably disposed. Okay, it's the awareness of God's grace. It's grace recognized. Okay, um, that's why in scripture you'll find Jesus in his parables using terms like enter the joy of your master or they returned with joy. Hear the word with joy. You know, people receiving the word of God with joy. It talks about how there'll be more joy in heaven for the sinner who repents. And that's basically our response to favor, our response to God's goodness. All right. Um, there's also an interesting word that uh, has a similar root, and it's the word chada, which means to rejoice. And part of praising in church, it's chada, it's we're rejoicing. And the Bible instructs us and commands us to rejoice. And what I want to say at this point is that rejoicing produces joy. You see, joy doesn't just happen. We need to rejoice in order to experience joy. I believe that rejoicing generates joy. There are things you do that bring about joy. It doesn't just happen to you. It's not this passive thing like, Lord, give me joy. And then, oh, I'm suddenly joyful right? Oh, Pastor Paul, please pray for me and impart joy, okay? The things you do that can activate joy. And it's interesting because in the ancient Greek times, joy is something that you would uh, feel moving towards your potential, okay? There's that concept of joy being something we experience when we're moving towards our potential, as opposed to our modern thinking where joy or happiness is merely seen as pleasure, the pleasure of a moment, happenings, based on happenings, all right? So whether we're talking about going for a long run or childbirth, it's interesting because it's painful but joyful, isn't it, right? That's why people run a lot. That's why people still um, have babies, right? It's the joy set before you. It's like, oh, it was really painful, but hey, now you're having more babies, right? The joy set before you. So joy makes you want to do certain things, doesn't it? Think about what you do in your life when you're feeling joyful and think about what you don't do or what you do when you're feeling unhappy. You see, your level of joy affects your behavior. Simple as that. It affects your attitude, it affects your behavior. Joy makes us want to invest as deeply as possible into our loved ones, right? It's a joy for me to do this because you are my joy, right? A common myth is that happiness comes from being blind to the negative. No, you can go into something that you know is going to be painful, but you come out with joy. And I think that's so powerful. I like what Sean Aker said, if you sugarcoat the present, you make poor decisions for your future. If you sugarcoat the present, you make poor decisions for your future. And isn't that so true? So to be in a place of joy does not mean everything around you is going well because joy is an internal state. Joy is a spiritual quality. And that's really my first point. I really want to unpack this thing of joy because a lot of times in the church, we're confused uh, about what joy really is. So this, the first key thing I want to highlight is that joy is an inter internal state. 
Joy is an internal state. It's not based on external circumstances. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, 11 to 12, this is what uh, Paul says. I'm not saying this out of need, for I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. That's where we want to be. That's a mark of Christian maturity. I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. I know how to live humbly, right? In some translations say when I'm abased and I know how to abound. I'm accustomed to any and every situation, to being filled and being hungry, to having plenty and having need. And that's where God wants to take us. And the problem with so many believers is they change. They change in how they relate to people, how they relate to God when their circumstances are not great. But here Paul is giving us a sign, a mark of Christian maturity. I've learned contentment. Whether I've got a big balance balance in my bank account, right? Or I've got a small balance. In James 1, verses 2 to 3. Um, this is the scripture I'm building on uh, that was used by, by my wife. It was used by Sean as they were talking about waiting on the Lord. Very powerful. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Oh, but I thought joy was to do with the pleasure of the moment. I'm feeling joyful because of that good thing that happened. No, it's not based on that. I can walk in spiritual, the spiritual quality of joy even in times of trial. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So I have, to be, I have to have an eye for what I'm getting out of the trial, you see? So it's about perspective, isn't it? It's about benefit finding. What I spoke about last week, it's about hunting for the good stuff. Oh, my faith is producing endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The key question is, What's my priority? What's my priority? Is my priority really just my breakthrough? Is my priority really just my own comfort? Or is my priority becoming like Christ? Because that's his priority. And you see, when that becomes my goal, when I align myself with his goal, the thing that's most important to him, I can experience joy even in times of trial. Even in times of trial, you see. This is why when people ask me, Paul, how is life treating you? I like to say to them, I'm treating life well, thank you. I'm treating it well, thank you, right? It's the ability to see opportunity in calamity, right? I've been married for almost uh, 20 years now, and people say to me, Paul, how's married life treating you? I'm treating it well, thank you. Why do I say that? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The influence and impact I have on the world around me is bigger than it has on me. Why do I keep saying those types of things? My level of joy, my level of joy is not based on what's happening around me. It's based on who God is in me, and he doesn't change. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Joy that doesn't is not based on what you can see, because it says, You have not seen him, but you love him, right? Verse 9, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The fact that I'm saved, the fact that you are saved should just bring joy to you. That's why the Bible talks about the joy of your salvation, the joy of our salvation. Just that basic fact, you know, oh, that business was taken away from me but I'm saved. I've got eternity with Christ Jesus. I've got all these spiritual assets 
that, 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 I'm in, that I'm connected to. Isn't that awesome? That's something to give you joy. That's something for you to celebrate. You see, joy is essentially more to do with the unseen than the seen. That's what I get from the scripture. When you're delighted by circumstances, then you just experience the lower levels of pleasure. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being delighted by the fact that you've just been given a chocolate. And people are different, aren't they? For some people, if you give them a textbook, they're excited like you've given them a chocolate, okay? Because for them, like, oh, books, it's like that's their love language. Oh, you've given me a book. Thank you. Right? For some people, it's chocolates. For some people, it's peanuts. Okay? We've all got things that we find temporary delighted, but we need to acknowledge that this is temporary. This is temporary. Some people get so excited by these, these temp temporal things you know, that you think, well, they've just had a life-changing experience. You see how some people run for dessert. You know, it's like, like they've just gotten born again or something. Right? So joy is primarily a heart condition. It's about having a joyful heart. This is so important. In Proverbs 17, verse 22, it says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I want to encourage you. Laughter is good medicine, isn't it? A joyful heart, a cheerful heart is good medicine. And for some of you, that's all you need right now. Just where you're at in your life, you need a bit of joy. And you'll find that healing will come your way. That's how God has designed your body. Endorphins are released naturally through the pituitary gland. And uh, these serve as feel-good chemicals, don't they? And natural uh, analgesics. They do, right? Smiling helps too. You know that it's been found that once you smile, your facial muscles uh, are automatically stretched. And the movement of these muscles then actually triggers the brain to produce endorphins. Okay? So that what you do, so what you do with your body does affect your internal emotional state. It's so important to understand that. And that's why when I talk about body language, I, I say, you know, if you lift up your hands, for example, when you've just finished 100 meters or 200 meters, whatever you're running, people lift their hands up, don't they? All right. And why do they do that and go, oh, why do they do that? It's not because they've seen it happening before, because they've done the experiments with people born blind and they found that they would also do that when they're told, hey, you won, hey, you did well, you finished the race. And that when you do that with your hands, your uh, testosterone goes up and that's your power hormone, right? But your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, goes down, right? So your body language, what you do with your body affects your internal state. And that's why it's so important when we're in church and it's time to worship and the worship leader says, stand up, begin to worship, or isn't it time to dance now? Do it, do it, and you'll see a change in your emotional state, your inside. It's so important. And God designed us that way. Research shows that people who laugh more often release higher levels of endorphins in a day. All right? In fact, if you look at the statistics, um, it shows that children who laugh approximately 300 times per day are shown to release more endorphins relative to adults who only laugh about five times per day. Isn't that scary? Children, 300 times a day, right? Did I say 300 times? 300 times per day. And if you compare that with adults, it's only five times per day. That's scary, right? Some people will dispute these figures, but the point is that children laugh a lot more than adults. 
Okay, and sometimes we wonder, we look at children, we're like, where are they getting all this energy from? I believe sometimes it's because of the joy that they're experiencing. One of Norman Cousins' uh, most famous quotes is this one. Uh, Norman Cousins is a political journalist. He says, hearty laughter is a good way to jog internally without having to go outdoors. <laughs> I know some of you are claiming that for yourselves. You know, I say, hey, come for a run. Hey, no, let me just laugh. You know, I, don't, I can feel good now, right? The second thing, so the first point is that joy is essentially an internal state. The second thing I want to highlight is that God is our source of joy. God is our source of joy. I don't know where you're looking for joy but I believe that we need to look for it in the right place. In Isaiah chapter nine, verses two to three, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. I love this scripture because it's highlighting different sources of joy. It's talking about uh, times of harvest where people experience happiness because, hey, it's harvest time, right? And I believe that's your portion for some of you, right? Warriors, when they're dividing the, splendor, the plunder, look what we've won. Some of you are in a situation where you've just won certain things, right? You've won awards, etc., or you've experienced promotion. But it's interesting how it speaks of in verse 3. It says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Who's done that? God has done that. God is my source of joy. God should be your source of joy. In Romans 15 verse 13, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. In other words, complete joy. Often in scripture, if you see that word all, it's speaking of complete. Okay. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that's one of the sources of joy, isn't it? Trusting in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you unpack the scripture, you see an interesting thing. Joy and peace produce hope. Staying in a place of joy will produce hope. Hope is a byproduct of joy and peace. Our role is to trust him. That's what we need to do. If you're trusting in someone or something else, maybe that's why you're not experiencing complete joy. See, that's our work. Our work is to trust. Our work is to believe. His work is to fill us with joy and peace. Joy is a byproduct of trust. If I come to a place where I say, Lord, you're my source, and I'm going to just trust in you, I'm going to trust in your word, the joy comes. The joy comes. In Philippians 4 verse 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when you have your breakthrough. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord once your prayer has been answered. Right? It says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The degree to which you make Jesus the source and center of your joy is the degree to which you will experience supernatural, inexpressible joy. You will always rejoice in something, but when you rejoice in God, it produces true joy. There will always be something you take delight in, but it doesn't always produce true joy. But when you take delight in the Lord, when you delight yourself in God, it will produce joy. But our job is to delight ourselves in Him, to trust in Him, to have faith in Him, to believe in Him. His job is to fill us with joy and with peace. Isn't that awesome? 
Isn't that awesome? I think it's amazing. I remember growing up and there were times when, um, after I got born again, there were times when I would just experience this inexpressible joy and there was so much power I could feel in my being. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do with the levels of joy. It wasn't just a joy. It was a powerful joy. It's almost like joy and power worked hand in hand. And so when the Bible says the joy of the Lord will be your strength, I can see what's, what's happening. There were times my levels of joy were so much that I would feel like I'm going to explode, like my body could not contain it. And here's the exciting thing. It wasn't a joy based on, oh, this happened or that happened. I was like, Lord, you've been so good to me. Lord, you have favored me. It was the joy of my salvation. And I literally was about to explode with that joy. So I get it when the Bible talks about inexpressible joy. The third thing I want to share with you about joy is that joy is a central aspect of the kingdom of God. It's a central aspect of the kingdom of God. In Galatians 5 verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. And what's the second thing that's mentioned? Joy. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? I just think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. So what's important to understand here is that joy is so central. Now we know that, oh yeah, the kingdom of God, of course, love. Yes, that's very important. What about the joy factor? What about the joy factor? If you look in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. What news are you listening to? And is it causing great joy for the people? Is it causing great joy for you? It's actually been found that when people uh, watch a lot of negative news and that kind of thing, it affects their level of joy, right? First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 27 says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So whenever you think of God's dwelling place and God himself, it says strength and joy are there. Strength and joy. Think of splendor. Think of majesty. Think of strength. Think of joy. The sad thing for me is that many believers will talk about being with God and experiencing God, but somehow they don't associate that with joy. In Romans 14 verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the king of the kingdom is full of joy. So joy is part of being Christ-like. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, it says, talking about Christ, he was despised and rejected. It says, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. So we see something interesting here that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He could identify with deepest grief. You know, one of the things that I've learned is that if we can't feel sorrow, then we won't feel joy because numbing is not selective. If you say, I'm going to numb out my sorrow and my pain, you're also going to be numbing out the joy. For you to experience depth of joy, you also need to be willing to embrace sorrow. And what I find interesting when we look at Christ in Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says he was a man of sorrows. But guess what it says? 
in Psalms 45, verses 6 to 7. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of, right, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. So one moment Jesus is being described, the Christ is being described as a man of sorrows. But at the same time also, he's described as one who was anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows. Depth of pain, depth of sorrow, depth of grief, but also greater joy levels than anyone else. I like it's in a different version in the book of Psalms uh, 45 verse 7. It says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. I like it in the New Living Translation. Um, it says, you love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. I believe that if Jesus had the anointing of oil, the oil of joy poured out on him, I believe that this can also take place. And I believe that as we pray at the end of this message, for some of you, you'll be activated with this anointing, this oil of joy. The fourth thing I want to say about joy is that joy gives you strength. And we know the famous scripture, Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. Send to some of those. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of you need strength. Therefore, you need joy. When someone is depressed, have you noticed they'll say to you, I just couldn't get out of bed. I don't see a lot of people who are depressed, who are extremely active, extremely focused in the purposes of God. One of the things a depressed state does is sometimes paralyzes you and you don't feel like doing anything. You don't, there's no sense of urgency around various things. You know that research has shown that joy produces dopamine that helps you to perform better. Sadly, many people are anxiously trying to perform in order to produce results so that they can be happy. But it actually works the other way around. Okay, When you are full of the joy of the Lord, you find yourself then performing. It's so important to guard your joy, especially before embarking on significant endeavors. Guard your joy. Guard your joy. It's crucial. It's crucial. What drains you? Sometimes it's good to avoid those things. What drains your energy? Is it that meeting with that person where you sit down with them and it's very monotonous and you, and you literally struggle with the individual, right? Uh, what drains you? Just think about it. Do an emotional log on yourself to actually see what sucks the life out of you. It's so important for us to guard our joy, to guard our joy. Joy is a spiritual quality. It's not just this benefit. You know, sometimes we don't guard our joy because we think joy is a nice to have. No, it's a spiritual quality. Just in the same way as we say, sure, I need to work on my patience. Sure, Lord, please help me. I'm renewing my mind concerning patience. We should be doing the same concerning joy, concerning joy. The fifth thing I want to highlight about joy is that joy draws people. You see, joy can be experienced at a national level. And um, it's what I would call emotional contagion, 
right? Where people feed off each other, right? Uh, it's, see, joy is infectious, right? And people are attracted to it. If you look in Esther chapter 8, verse 17, it says, In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews. Not just one Jew, not just three Jews, amongst the Jewish nation, as it were, with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews. Can you see how joy is attractive? Because fear of the Jews had seized them. This is so interesting. So they were not intimidating, but they were joyful, yet fear seized the others and drew them in. I believe this is the picture of the church today. People must look at us and be like, how come these people are so happy? How, this person has just been through A, B, C, D, but they're full of so much joy. I want some of this. Joy is attractive. There's never a time when you're like, oh, those people are just so joyful and I hate it. Let me go away. Unless there's something wrong with you. Joy is attractive. Joy is attractive. And let me say this. One of the quickest ways to change the climate in a room Let's, those of you in the workplace, work environment, wherever you are, is to get people to laugh. And you know that a sense of humor is actually a leadership quality. They've actually done some research where they found that the high-performing star leaders got about four times as many laughs out of the crowd as the average people. And a sense of humor is not the same as cracking a joke because you can crack a joke, but I have a bad sense of humor. Sense of humor is where you can laugh at yourself. Sense of humor is where you can relieve the tension in a room, okay, because of what you say. That's a sense of humor. And I believe that when we laugh, when there's laughter, it's just a sign of a healthy team and a healthy environment. Joy is infectious. When I ask people in some of my corporate seminars, I ask people and I say, tell me about a team that you were part of where you felt like, wow, this was really great. We performed well and I loved being part of this, this team, all right? Tell me about it. And you, you know what's so interesting? One of the common denominators, something 100% of the time people say, they say, we had fun. Then I say to them, what does fun look like? 100% of the time they say, we laughed a lot. We laughed a lot. If you're part of a team or even a family where there's no more laughter, there's no laughter, you just sit there eating your dinner and so on, and there's no laughter. I'm telling you there's something dysfunctional there because the way God has created us He's created us for laughter. He's created us for joy, right? The sixth thing I want to share with you concerning joy is that joy is our response to his presence. Joy is, the resp is our response to his presence. You know, sad to say many people dissociate joy and gladness from church. A lot of people look like they've been baptized in lemon juice as they're walking out, out of church, looking so sulky and just whining. And um, they think of religion like healthy food. Have you noticed? You know, it may not taste good, but it's good for you. So just endure it. You know, let me just endure church. Let me just endure fellowship. Right. But the Bible declares that in God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forever. In Psalm 16 verse 11. Isn't that powerful? In God's presence is fullness of joy. Where the spirit of God is, there's liberty, there's freedom. So where's the bondage coming from? If we as his people are to reflect his image, then we must become a joyous people. It's a spiritual quality. It's not to do with personality. Okay. In Isaiah chapter 12, verse six, it says, 
praise the Lord in song. That's an instruction. For he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. So when we are praising, it's not something that we do just in secret. Let it be known throughout the earth. I have a problem with Christians who just praise God in private and don't acknowledge God in public. King David said, I will praise you before the peoples, right? In verse six, it goes on to say, cry aloud and shout for joy. O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So some people have got this thing of like, you know what, my form of spirituality is silent. Everything I do is just going to be silent. I'll silently praise God. And I'm, I'm a quiet person, so I just like the silent approach. Well, if all you do is just praise God in silence, then there's a whole part of scripture that you're missing out on. Because the Bible says, cry aloud and shout for joy. Why? For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. You know, if you see someone watching a rugby team or famous soccer team or whatever it is that they enjoy and a goal is scored and they're just like staring, you know, like some of the coaches, you know, team scores a goal, everyone on the pitch is rejoicing and so on and the coach is just looking, you know, deadpan look. We, we think that's strange. That's weird, right? Yet there's some people who will rejoice a lot when their team has scored a goal. But when we are now in a church service, and we're supposed to be praising God. They're extremely quiet, right? For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So important. Jonathan Edwards has a wonderful sermon, God, the best portion of the Christian. And it's based on Psalms 73 verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. All right? Powerful. And um, I want to just share with you a quote from there. Very, very powerful quote. Hence, we may learn that whatever changes a godly man passes through, he is happy because God, who is unchangeable, is his chosen portion. Though he meet with temporal losses and be deprived of many, yea, of all his temporal enjoyments, yet God whom he prefers before all, still remains and cannot be lost. While he stays in this changeable, troublesome world, he is happy because his chosen portion on which he builds as his main foundation for happiness is above the world and above all changes. And when he goes into another world, still he is happy because that portion yet remains. How great is the happiness of those who have been chosen, of those who have chosen the fountain of all good, who prefer him before all things in heaven or on earth, and who can never be deprived of him to all eternity. Here's the secret to joy. Who do you prefer? Who do you prefer before all things? Don't allow your love for the world to rob you of joy. You see, what happens with many Christians, they're bound by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the Bible speaks of that, and the pride of this life. And to the degree to which they've prized those things, to the same degree are they robbing themselves of true joy. The seventh thing I want to share with you concerning joy is that sacrifice and giving or really any kind of service 
in the kingdom should be done in joy. In the book of Psalms 27 verse 6, it says, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Many people sacrifice today, but they do it while they're whining and complaining. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will give sacrificially with shouts of joy. See, when you do God's work, do it in joy. Stop whining as you serve and sacrifice for the kingdom. I was speaking to a couple that I was counseling and uh, I was just sharing with them a particular thing because the husband was saying, my wife does acts of service, but she does it with resentment. You can see she's resenting the fact that I'm not helping her out and yet she does it. But the Bible here says, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. And I remember speaking to the wife and saying, you know what, whatever issues you have with your husband, address them directly. Give them the clear feedback. Don't suppress it because whatever you resist will persist. And the way it then comes out is you will do acts of service, but you'll do it full of resentment. You see, when you do God's work, do it in joy. Don't do it whining. Don't whine as you serve. Don't whine as you uh, sacrifice for the kingdom. In the book of Psalms 100 verse 2, it says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. That's why it's so important having that time of praise in church. Joyful songs, songs that bring about joy. We're rejoicing and it produces joy. In Ezra chapter 6 verse 22, it says, For seven days they celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread. Because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? You know, it's important to celebrate. What do you need to be celebrating right now? You know, I remember coaching a particular uh, leader and a managing director who was saying to me, Paul, you know what my weakness is? One of my main weaknesses is I don't celebrate enough. I don't celebrate enough. And I said to this person, how does that impact your team? Because they're working hard. And if you're not celebrating the results, if you're not celebrating the good work, they can end up feeling like, you know what, when am I going to get recognized around here? Like, it seems like what I'm doing is never good enough, is never good enough. My question to you is, what do you need to be celebrating right now? And when we celebrate, we're not giving glory to ourselves. We're just acknowledging, God, you know what? We, we need to create uh, uh, an altar to you, just giving thanks, an altar of thanksgiving, just saying, we thank you for bringing us through and keeping us in good health. Sometimes we're celebrating our health. Sometimes we're celebrating a promotion. Sometimes we're celebrating uh, turning a particular age. I think of Pastor Vim, who's just been up to Zim now and celebrated a dad's 70th. And there's a whole testimony around that, that a dad is still here and he's 70 years of age. I think that's awesome. And I commended and I said, Pastor Vim, thank you for what you guys did for your father and what you sowed. Uh, because it's expensive doing those kinds of celebrations, but that is honoring to God and honoring to their father. What are you celebrating? Proverbs 12 verse 20 says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Isn't it amazing? The things you do that produce joy, 
There are things you do that produce joy. Counselors of peace have joy. In Proverbs 21 verse 15, it says, It is a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. There are certain things that produce joy. And I want to encourage you, live a life that produces joy. And then finally, the eighth thing I want to mention concerning joy is that negative situations can change. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, it says, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. These are people God had rescued. But guess what? Sorrow and sighing flee away. Joy overtake them. Isn't that amazing? I want to pray for us and I want to conclude by making some declarations to you and giving you almost commands or instructions that will help you in this journey of joy. Because the question you are taking with you is, well, what should I do to become more joyful? The first thing I want to exhort you to do is let your spirit command your soul. The Bible says in Psalm 42 verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Make a decision that you're going to put your hope in God, but your spirit must be commanding your soul. That's what's happening here. Why are you downcast, O my soul? My mind, my will, my emotions, my intellect, my imagination, right? Shape up. Put your hope in God. The second thing to do is embrace your power to choose. Embrace your power to choose. You see, research actually shows the correlation between autonomy and joy. Autonomy and joy. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated, right? Be able to say to people, I love you and give to you because that's what I want to do. Not because I'm afraid of you. I'm free. You see, when you do things stemming from your own autonomy, your own choice, embracing the power to choose, joy comes from that. When you serve in church or you give because you feel pressure to do so, there's no joy in that. The third thing to do is develop meaningful relationships. You know, uh, there's a, a very sort of long-term study that Harvard did of adult development. And over a period of about 75 years, they have tracked the lives of 724 men. And guess what they found? They found that the happiest people were those in meaningful relationships. There's something about having meaningful relationships that produces joy. And you see this in 2 John chapter uh, 1, verse 12. It says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. Why? So that our joy may be complete. So joy isn't being made complete when I'm just writing to you, when I'm not seeing you. But I want to see you face to face so that our joy may be complete. I believe that through this uh, time of lockdown that we've been through, COVID, etc., a lot of people were robbed of the joy of actually seeing each other in person. There's something about being able to see people's body language, being able to touch people. I, I spoke to you about oxytocin and what it does when you're touching people, feeling someone else, giving someone else a warm hug. It does something to our level of joy. I want to encourage you, get into meaningful relationships. Get into meaningful relationships. Make sure your relationships with people are not superficial. Go to a deeper level. There's joy 
in that. And then fourthly, abide in Christ. Now, there are many things I can give you and share with you, but that's the last one I want to share with you. Abide in Christ. This is called spiritual object constancy, right? It's where you know Christ has loved me. Let me carry his love in my heart. You see, your joy will be complete when you're filled with his words. In John 15 verse 11, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. I've given you my words so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Oh, so I'll experience joy to the degree to which I receive the words of Jesus because they're full of joy and abide in the words of Jesus. Am I meditating on the words of Jesus? Then I'll walk in joy. You see, and this actually produces contentment. In Christ, I'm complete. His words are so dominant in my heart that other words don't affect me. His voice is the loudest within me. Listening to Jesus' words breaks us into new levels of joy. You know, research has shown the positive impact of prayer on your emotional state and on the immune system. I'm talking about the things we do that bring us closer to Christ, that help us to abide in Him, and prayer is one of those things. You know, research has also shown a positive correlation between spiritual intelligence and happiness. When we walk closely with Jesus, we carry his heart and we are more likely to do acts of kindness, which influences also our level of happiness positively. Let me just say one more thing. Let me give you one more. Develop a lifestyle of gratitude. Many people think that happy people are grateful, but it's actually the other way around. Grateful people become happy. You see, and gratitude is really to do with rejoicing, isn't it? You become joyful to the degree to which you rejoice, right? And uh, this is actually a verb that produces joy, isn't it? Rejoicing. And when I'm grateful, I'm rejoicing about what God has done. And I've said to you before, what you think about and what you thank about is what you eventually bring about. Develop a gratitude journal where you write out three to five things daily that you're grateful for. And it's amazing what actually comes out of that. If we do these things, we will go to another level of joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your people and I thank you for what you're doing in our midst right now. Father, we pray for the activation of joy in our midst. Joy as a spiritual quality. Lord, may you help us to make you our precious possession that our focus would not be on the lust of the flesh, the pride of this life, the lust of the eyes, but our focus would be on you and your work in our hearts, your work of sanctification. Father, may we use joy as a weapon. May you help us and enable us to guard our joy. May joy truly be our strength as we, as we live in this life. May our levels of joy not be based on the happenings around us, but may our level of joy be based on our salvation, on your goodness, and the fact that you're immutable, you're unchanging. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you.